0: Now, we are continuing our series through the Gospel of John, and last week we found ourselves in the passage where Jesus heals a man who was blind from birth. And though he could not see, he could hear. He could hear the voice of his shepherd calling him, he could f- hear the voice of God giving him instructions through Jesus who was sent to him. And last week we saw that Jesus on the Sabbath. He spit into the mud, made a, cl- a mud clay ball, slapped it onto this blind man's eyes, told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam, and that man was healed. He could see. He could see, and today we pick up where we left off. And so the title of today's message is Born to See God, Born to See God Part 2. Last week was Part 1. Uh, if you weren't with us, you can get that on our YouTube um, channel, and you can Uh, catch up there. We have five points today. Five points today. Uh, They're they're not all going to be long points. Uh, No, it's not the five points of Calvinism. So I I apologize. Sorry to disappoint the one of you in here who would (laughs) desire for me to expound on that. If you want to know the full gospel of Calvinism, talk to me and uh, I would love to buy you coffee and explain those truths to you. But instead, it is five conversational movements in the narrative today you'll see five conversational movements as we wrap up john chapter 9 under each movement i will simply highlight the main points because there's a lot of text to cover if you have god's word please meet me now in john chapter 9 john chapter 9 starting in verse 13 john chapter 9 starting in verse 13 where we see the first movement is the pharisees question the man we see this in verses 13 to 17. Again, you can follow along all the points, including the big idea is on your, uh, on your bulletins or your digital copy as well. Even the big idea, there's nothing, there's nothing new uh, this morning. Everything is pretty obvious. The point is pretty clear, but we're going to see kind of the context that draws out some of the insights from the passage. Okay, so the Pharisees questioned the man. That's basically what's happening in the text. Here's what... John writes for us. Verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. So he's been healed. He's been given his sight. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Now what you want to know is that we're 13 or 14 verses into this narrative. And this is the very first time. This is the very first time in this story where John tells you it's a Sabbath day. So as interpreters, this is not the first time that Jesus is healing on the Sabbath and this is not the first time that the Pharisees have a problem with him feeling, healing on the Sabbath, but that point has already been, been explained. So this is not the main point of John's passage here. Right? So how do you know it's not the main point? He, he just brings it up midway as just kind of a side note. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Now he jumps back in. So the Pharisees, again asked him how he had received his sight and he said to them he put mud on my eyes and i washed and i see so john shows you all the ways that jesus is quote unquote violating jewish cultural custom one he's healing on the sabbath but there's two things that he does on the sabbath so if we're going to nail him for violating the sabbath one he does the work of spitting on the ground and making the mud number two he opened the guy's eyes so those are two violations of the sabbath making mud making the clay out of mud and two doing the act of healing not only that not only that but what he does is unclean right he uses saliva and he uses mud to heal someone and he tells the person to wash So those are all the insights that John wants you to see. Now, we've already addressed the issue of Jesus working on the Sabbath in past sermons. But for those of you who are new, basically, the Sabbath was meant for a time of recreation. Since the fall of man, we are practicing the Sabbath where you set aside time, a day each week where you practice this rhythm of resting in christ but what's supposed to happen when you rest you are supposed to partake in recreation which is really recreation you go to church you serve god you do work and play but things that would recreate your soul a sense of renewal being recreated through the word of god through relationships through the exercise of service experiencing recreation so when jesus heals people he is actually not violating the sabbath but he is fulfilling the true purpose of the sabbath which is recreation and so you can go back and you can find a previous sermon where we explain that in more detail but we'll jump back in and notice verse 16 this interrogation continues the pharisees question the man verse 16 it says some of the pharisees said this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him? Since he's opened your eyes, he said, and the man says, he is a prophet. So the Pharisee's goal is to get this man to condemn Christ. Right? That is their goal. But he says, this man is a prophet. Now, the key there is this man has never seen Jesus. I want you to imagine this. He wasn't made blind. He was born blind. So he's never seen until Jesus touches him and heals him. So actually, he only hears the voice of Jesus Christ. So if he were to be in a crowd, if he were to look into the crowd, and if the religious leaders were were to say, hey, point out which one healed you, he would have no idea. It's not his fault. He's never seen. Jesus did not stay with him jesus had departed so he's never seen jesus but he's heard about jesus and he's heard the voice of jesus he trusted in jesus he obeyed jesus and he went to the pool of siloam followed jesus's uh, commands to him uh, and he was healed but here you begin to see his journey of faith he does not know that jesus is the messiah but you see the seeds of faith because he refers to jesus as a prophet Why would he do that? Well, first of all, Jesus sent him to the pool of Siloam. And so a prophet is a person who is sent from God. A prophet is sent from God to proclaim the word of God. So if anything, he's only heard the voice of God. He's experienced the miracle of God. So at the least, he believes that Jesus is sent from God. Jesus is one who is sent from God. Who's the guy who healed you? I don't know. I've never seen him but he must be at the least sent from God. But I want you to see as the conversation continues, pay close attention to his spiritual development because you might see your own spiritual journey reflected in his. Not getting anywhere with this man, in verses 18 to 23, the next movement, the Pharisees turn their investigation towards their parents. So you see that the conversation moves. It goes from the Pharisees questioning the man to secondly the pharisees now questioned his parents notice in verses 18 to 23 but let me read to you what the word of god says the jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight now stop there for a second when do the pharisees ever believe in anything jesus is resurrected no he didn't resurrect from the dead that's somebody else Jesus was hiding. He never really died. Whatever. The Jews did not believe. You weren't really blind. You weren't really blind. You must have had some secret twin brother that we've never heard about. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received the sight until they called the parents. The parents would know. Out of everyone, the parents would know. No, that's our son. No, he does not have a twin brother. And yes, he was born blind. And everybody in our neighborhood could testify to that that this man was born blind and who had received the sight now look at verse 19 and ask them is this your son who you say you say he was born blind how then does he now see his parents answer we know that this is our son and he was born blind but how he now sees we don't know nor do we know who opened his eyes ask him He's of age. He's old enough. He's old enough to tell you himself. He will speak for himself. Now verse 22 gives you a clue. So in verses 20 to 21, you you get what came out of his parents' mouth. But John tells you, through the illumination of the Holy Spirit, tells you this is really what they were thinking. Which means they actually heard from their son. And their son has never seen Jesus, but could at least somehow testify that man they called Jesus. That man they called Jesus. Look at the parenthetical note that the author, that the biblical author gives to the biblical reader. His parents said these things. Why? Because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, to be Christ, meaning to be the Messiah, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age asking him now why is this a big deal to be put out of the synagogue you kick me out of the church because your church is corrupt i'll go to another church that's not how it worked in judaism you see notice in verse 22 john's parenthetical note it gives you a hint his parents are afraid they're terrified of the powers at play the jewish religious leaders made Or they defined the religious power structure of Jewish society. If you were a Jew, being cast out of the synagogue meant being a religious and social outcast. Expulsion from the synagogue is similar to excommunication. You would be declared a sinner. But think even more. If you could not go to the synagogue, you could not worship. You could not make an offering. You can't purchase an animal to be sacrificed. You can't be declared forgiven by the priest. So you're basically an unclean sinner. You're just like the Gentiles in their book. Imagine that. So if, if the Jewish leaders cast out his parents, they would forever be dishonorable in, and they would lose any social standing that they had. But why would this be sensitive, especially to his parents? I want you to really think about what the text does not say, but what, what you get from all of the New Testament context. And this is where we get understanding. And if you grew up in an Eastern context, you'll understand this. Consider the worldview that this man grew up with. This is an honor-shame culture. This is not a Western culture. Okay, this is an honor-shame culture. You get the clue from the opening verses which we saw in John chapter 9 last week. Even Jesus' disciples assumed... That this, parents, that this man's parents must have sinned. And that the fact that this man was blind is, be, is a punishment from God. So, if, if Jesus' disciples somehow assumed a generational curse upon this man's parents, what do you think the parents felt? So, all their life, people, they had to explain to people, this is our son, ever since he was born. This is our son, but he's blind. And people probably looked at his parents. Shame on you. What did you do wrong? <clears throat> Shame on your son. What did he do wrong? So, any honor that the parents had, it w- they were holding on by a string, by, the, by, 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 by barely a string. Here's their opportunity. Their, their boy, a, a man now, he's of age, he will speak for himself. Their boy has finally been healed. Here's a chance. Don't mess it up, mom and dad. Here's your chance to get honor finally. And not even pride, not even honor like awards and accolades, but simply to be normal. Simply to be at normal. Now we know that this is not God's design for what is honorable in culture. God comes from a very different worldview. I know some of you, Your your, your parents, but your children, you are parents. Your children were born with autism, maybe handicap. Your entire life, you bear the burden. You're not ashamed of your children. We live in the West. It's different. But it's hard. You go to church. You move around church to church looking for the church that could care for your children. We understand that here if your child is handicapped or has any type of disability, you understand. Even if you love your children, you're proud of your children, you kind of spent your life defending your children and maybe just being exhausted and tired. Some of you, this is your own life. So just imagine first parents what they're going through. This is an honor-shame culture. They, were, they had to have been uh, in this society where they felt ashamed, even if they weren't ashamed of their son. And let's give the benefit of the doubt. The text does not tell us that they were bad parents or that they were neglectful. But here, they are afraid. And so this tells you also something of the Jewish leadership. The Jewish leaders are supposed to be shepherds of the sheep. But they must have pressed down those who were looked down upon in society. And so that's why these parents are terrified. You know, if you came to our church, and if you said, hey, this is what's going on with our kids, it's really hard, we would not only have compassion, we would do everything we can to not make you feel like, you know, you're kind of, we have to treat you kind of special. We would do everything we can to treat you with respect, dignity, honor, pray for you, but also bless your kids and try our best, and we're not going to be perfect, but, but we would also preach in a way where we would want the entire congregation to treat people who are handicapped or with disability with honor, because we are of Christ. Why would we do that? Not because society has taught us to do so, but because we understand the Christian gospel. It's not because we're any better, right? I mean, how many of us, when we see someone, you know, being pushed with a wheelchair and we're trying to get somewhere, we politely just oh, I gotta, I gotta move around. Why? Because that's how we operate. But because of the gospel, at least we feel some conviction. But the Jewish leaders, they were pressing down the people. And this is why John chapter 9 comes before John chapter 10. John chapter 9, Jesus heals the blind man. They cast him out. The Pharisees cast him out. John chapter 10 is about the good shepherd. And the good shepherd, you don't need to see him. His sheep hear his voice. And they know him. And this man was blind. he, He could not see the shepherd he could hear the shepherd. And because he could hear the shepherd, he stood up. You're going to see that he stands up to the religious leaders. So this moves us to the third movement. The third movement, the Pharisees, they go back to question the man again because they can't get anywhere with his parents. His parents are too afraid to condemn Jesus or to say anything about Jesus or even to mention Jesus. We don't know anything about his parents. It's really sad that his parents would feel this fear. But we know that the man is growing in his faith. And now look at our third movement. The Pharisees questioned the man again. Look with me now at verses 24. Starting in verses 24. And we're going to look at verses 24 to 27 first. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. This is irony here. Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. In other words, translate it, Give glory to God by condemning Jesus Christ. Give glory to God, for we know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. And so the blind, the, the man who was formerly blind, verse 25, he answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. How many of us can say that spiritually? I don't know too much about theology or doctrine, as a brand new believer, but I know that I was once blind and there's things that I couldn't see spiritually, but now for some reason I see and I believe in God. All right, verse 26, they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already and you would not listen. Stop there, mid-sentence. Doesn't this sound like Jesus? When Jesus talks to the religious leaders, he says, I've already told you, you guys don't want to hear. You don't want to hear. The disciple it doesn't say yet that he's a disciple of Jesus, but he's starting to sound like his master. You see, you see this man. I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become, also become his disciples? And when he says that, he's not denying that he's beginning to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now look at verses 28, 28 to 31. And they reviled him. They insulted him. You are his disciple. The man doesn't deny it. Peter denies it after Jesus is betrayed and arrested. Peter says, no. Peter even curses, says, no, I don't know Jesus Christ. That's in Peter's moment of weakness. But this man who was healed, he doesn't deny it. So, So they reviled him and they insulted him. This would have been an insult for the Pharisees to call someone a disciple of Jesus You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. Verse 29, we know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man, the man who was healed, answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. He's using sarcasm. You can't see that no human agent can actually heal someone. You don't know where he comes from. Of course he's sent from God. How else Can you explain a divine miracle? The man believes. You see his faith. Verse 31. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Verse 32. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. Look at this man testifying of Jesus Christ. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, you were born of utter sin. And you have the confidence, the boldness to teach us. Who do you think you are, blind man? And they cast him out. I want you to see the tension in this text. I mentioned his parents. But how about this man? I don't know about you, but I grew up in an honor-shame culture. Most of you did too. I've done plenty of things in my life to bring shame to my parents. Even as a man now, grown man, almost mid-age, I want more than anything to honor Jesus Christ and honor my family. But I still do care that my parents are proud of me. I still do care that my parents are proud of me. I think that's built into you. That's built into you. So if you grew up in a culture, a society where maybe your parents didn't give a lot of hugs, not a lot of I love yous, you know how to get that. I'm proud of you. It's called an A plus on your piece of paper. That's the greatest thing. Or when when you go home and tell mom and dad, hey, mom, dad, I don't have to take the final exam. Why? I have the highest grade in the class. I will bust the curve. We may not be as athletic we do our weightlifting in the library. (laughs) And we silently make our way up the corporate ladder, and we achieve. And sometime, our parents will let us know, some way or the other, maybe through financial provision, maybe a down payment for a home, maybe, I don't know, some way your parents will tell you, I'm proud of you. Some way. Right? That's our culture. This guy's been blind all his life. He knows the reproach he's brought upon his family. So all he has to do is curse Jesus Christ. All he has to do is curse Jesus Christ. Look at the crossroads that he's at. If he curses Jesus Christ, the Pharisees, the religious leaders will declare him, okay, you can see now, you're no longer that blind beggar sitting over there waiting for someone to heal you. You are reinstated into society as a citizen or a Jewish person with all the rights and honor. You can come to the temple and make sacrifices, and your parents will finally be normal. Your family will be normal. So not only is this man carrying the burden of, of his own personal life and livelihood, but he's carrying the burden of his parents, of his family, and he's about to put it on the line. So him being declared clean and healed would restore honor to him and his family. What is he going to do? And we know what he does. Give glory to God, the Pharisee says, and he gives glory to Jesus Christ. Because the Lord is working in his heart. This is an amazing transformation of faith. This man is being born again. And so when the Pharisees cast him out of the temple... There's a good chance, and I don't know what happens, that he's cast out of it. Like, he's gone from his family as well. Because if his family begins to take him in, his family's going to get cast out as well. So now he's all alone. He's all alone. Where does he go? He doesn't need to worry about where he goes. Because the shepherd's going to find him. And that leads us to our fourth movement. The man worships Jesus. How does the man worship Jesus? Who does he... How does he even know who Jesus is? Verse 35, starting in verse 35, Jesus finds him. Cast out of the temple, his parents have left him to fend for himself. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. The good shepherd hears that a sheep of God has been cast out. Having found him, he said, And I'll just add in, and I'm not adding to the text, but the HIV, I know it's a disease, Hanley International Version, right? Because there's no way that he could have found Jesus. Having found him, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered him, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? I want to believe in the Son of Man. Jesus said to him, you have seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe you. And he worshiped him. Now, the text does not say, Jesus doesn't say, oh, by the way, do you remember me? I know you couldn't have seen me. I'm the guy who heals him. He didn't need to. He recognized the voice. He recognized the voice. John chapter 10, verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my my own know me. Just as the father who knows me, I know the father. I lay down my life for, for the sheep. And I have other sheep who are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will listen to what? My voice. Even if they're physically blind, they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. They will recognize the voice. He recognized the voice of the shepherd calling him. And he said, Lord, I believe. And it says he worshiped Jesus. The blind man persevered, sticking with Jesus In spite of hostility, he defended Jesus Christ to the end. was cast out, Jesus found him and saved him. This leads to our fifth movement. Now, Jesus does something where he condemns the Pharisees. And in doing so, you get the main point of this this narrative. And so we see that Jesus condemns the Pharisees. Now, the text tells us that the Pharisees, they're able to hear Jesus doing this. So in verse 39, Jesus said... For judgment I came into this world, that those who did not see may see. What what does he mean by that? Not just the physically blind, but the spiritually blind. And those that see physically may become blind. Verse 40, some of the Pharisees near him heard these things, and they said to him, Are we also blind? Yes, you are. (laughs) Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt, but now you say we see, your guilt remains. Now, before we explain verse 41, verse 39, Jesus clearly explains why he came into this world. He is the light of the world. Why did he come into this world? Well, verse 39 tells you two functions of the light. Jesus is the light of Christ, but the light of Jesus, number one, blinds the hard-hearted, and number two, illumines those who are willing to believe so that those who do not see may see so those who are spiritually blind but you recognize that you're spiritually spiritually blind your eyes will be open to jesus christ but those who can see and you think that's good enough if you think you're not blind because you physically can see so you are completely oblivious to your own spiritual blindness and your need for christ you're actually going to remain blind that's his point You see, Isaiah 42, 6 7, Isaiah chapter 42, verses 6 to 7, it describes God's chosen servant as one who will be a light to the nations. And what does he do? He opens the eyes of the blind, both physically and spiritually. And those who recognize that Jesus is the, the chosen servant of God, those who recognize that Jesus is the Messiah, those are the ones who can see. And this man who was physically blind, he was spiritually able to recognize that Jesus Christ is the Messiah because Jesus healed him. The Pharisees, on the other hand, they don't recognize that they're spiritually blind. And that's the meaning of verse 41. Look at verse 41 once again. It's on the screen above, behind me. It says, if you were blind, meaning, and I gotta help you understand this, if you actually recognized that you were spiritually blind you would have no guilt meaning you would turn to christ and then your sin your guilt would be taken away your sins would be forgiven but now that you that you say we see your guilt remains that means jesus is right before their eyes yet they continue to condemn jesus Jesus is right there healing, performing the miracles, fulfilling Isaiah 42 and other parts of the Old Testament which the Jewish leaders of all people should have understood, but yet they continue to think that they're okay. Yes, they physically can see, but they're dead, they're dead in their sins. They're spiritually blind completely, and they condemn Christ, and they con- condemn the sheep that Jesus came to rescue and to save, and so that's why their guilt remains. And that's the point. Jesus came to to heal the spiritually blind by giving spiritual sight to anyone who would receive him as Lord and Savior, but to condemn those who think that they don't need God and they don't need Jesus Christ. That leads us to our big idea. The big idea this morning is that Christ brings salvation to those who see him as the Messiah, and those who reject him, sadly they remain condemned. Once again, Christ brings salvation to those who see him as the Messiah. Those who reject him remain condemned. Now, if you're here this morning and if you recognize that you've been spiritually blind, but today for some reason, or maybe last week, or maybe not even through this sermon, maybe through conversations with friends, maybe through your own study, maybe through trials in life, somehow you've been brought to a place where you recognize that there are spiritual needs in your life that only Jesus Christ can fulfill those needs, then come to Christ. He will save you. He doesn't just save us from hell. He changes us now. He changes his hearts. Trust in him. Confess that you're a sinner in need of his grace. Confess in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus came 2,000 years ago. He died on the cross in our place for our sins, and God raised him from the grave on the first Easter Sunday. If you turn to Him, if you listen to His voice, and if you ask Him to change your heart, He will save you. He will open the eyes, open the blinders. He will pull back the blinders on your eyes, and He will cause you to see spiritual truth. He will save you. Please turn to Christ. I invite you, we invite you, to believe in Him. It is a journey. You look at the blind man, and you see the journey. You see the journey of a man who had some felt needs he had some real physical problems in life for you it may not be physical blindness but there are other things in your life that reveal to you that you need something more and you need something divine and you need God to move in your life then you might hear the voice of God through the Holy Spirit through the word of God being proclaimed or preached or through someone sharing the gospel to you and then you might not know too much about Jesus and if someone were to to ask you, what do you believe about Christianity? You might say, I'm not sure, but I know that I was once blind, but no, I see. But through the Word of God and through growing, you finally realize, okay, this is you learn more about Jesus. You learn more about Jesus, and then your faith is confirmed. And when your faith is put to the test, and when the powers of this world come before you and question you, do you want to be approved by society and culture, or do you want Christ? Or If your family somehow presses against you, and that's really hard, your Buddhist family, maybe your secular family, are you willing to come to the Father and to find your honor bestowed upon you because of your identity in Christ, or would you rather have your family's approval? You will choose Christ, and as a result, you see that growth build, that growth in Christ. It builds your faith. That's the journey of this man. Many of us can relate to this man. Now, for those of you who already see, here's the application for us. Maybe you've been walking with Christ for 5 years, 10 years, 25 years, 50 years, 60 years of your life. If you've been walking with Christ, we know that there are still blind spots in our lives. That only through illumination, divine illumination, will the Lord allow us to see where he wants us to grow. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And one of the functions of Jesus being light is that he is also the wisdom of this world. And the Word of God gives us wisdom. He gives us wisdom, not just knowledge. And so the more you look at the Word of God, who's become flesh, that's a theme of John, the more you recognize the light of the world and His voice written down, contained, His instructions, His teachings contained in Scripture, the more the Holy Spirit will use the Word of God to convict you of sin and to show you where in your heart you and I need to change. But it's not just us That changes ourselves. You see, there's something that I didn't really understand early on in my faith. Grew up in the church, learned a lot of Bible over time, appreciated it. The seeds were planted. Didn't really fully believe till my senior year of high school. The Lord rescued me from the depravity of my sin. I realized that God had chosen me before the foundation of the world. That there's nothing I could do to save myself. Went to Bible college and thinking I will grow in my faith if I just stuff my head with lots of knowledge. So I was looking through the pages of Scripture to understand God and to understand how to live the Christian life and have more knowledge of the Bible. And that's not bad. And there's a lot of us who love to study the Bible in this room. But it took a decade of journeying in the Bible to recognize there was something lacking where the Lord wanted me to see more. I had knowledge, but I needed to grow in wisdom. I knew the Bible, but I I had a hard time applying the Bible, and I knew I needed not just knowledge, but wisdom. And where is that wisdom? So it changed, my perspective was changed by the Holy Spirit in His timing to look to the Word of God, and what I want to see in the Word of God is to be shown Christ. And so sometimes you guys wonder, hey, we sit under Hanley's preaching, how come every single time his main point is Jesus? It's a broken record. He always wants to take us to Jesus. He always explains the text and takes us to Jesus. And I I, I don't want to apologize for our staff too, but that's what Gabe tries to do. That's what the rest of the team tries to do. It's probably my fault. (laughs) That's our goal. Not just to give you knowledge of Christ. Because just like the blind man, you need to hear the voice of christ you need to see christ and so when we look at the scriptures how are the scriptures showing us christ because only when you see christ will you be made whole only when you know that your identity is being shaped in christ then every every aspect of sin will be shown to you because he is the only person who takes away sin He's the only person where where you say, hey, look, I have these character issues. What am I supposed to even change to be like? You're supposed to change to be like Christ. How do you become like Christ? To be exposed to the glory of Christ. The Apostle Paul describes this very supernatural thing and an event and this transformation process where the more he beholds christ the more he's being transformed into christ you can't put that into a program it's not five steps and you become more like jesus it's through trial and brokenness and coming to the end of yourself and deep prayer and the more reading of scripture and recognizing that even scripture alone apart from christ will not transform you to the point where you love christ look at the main point of this passage this Blind men he could not see, but he learned to love Jesus more than social approval, cultural approval. He was willing to continue to be a beggar, to be an outcast, to have no honor in society, to be even kicked out of his family if that's what would happen, to be left alone, all for Christ. This man eventually found his value, his worth in Christ. He was blind, but he truly could see. And that impacted his thinking and his feeling. And so how is it that a man who could not see has the wisdom of God, but the people who can see remain in the foolishness of the world? How is that? It's only because of the grace of God that this blind man was touched by God. And my closing exhortation to you is this. Consider that all of us in here, I I, I knew that we had one member who was physically blind. I'm I'm not talking about legally blind. I know some of you have that, you know, where you can't really drive, but you can still kind of see. We had only one member who was actually physically blind. I don't know of anybody right now in our English congregation who's physically blind. So most of us can see physically, but I want you to go home And you ask the Lord, Lord, I can see, but what do you want me to see spiritually? Where am I spiritually blind? What do you want me to see? Show me Christ. And through seeing Christ, show me where I need to see you as the light of the world and where I need to grow. And Christ will grow you and he will fill your heart with wisdom. Let's pray. Father, we come before you as men and women, children of God who can see Thank you, Lord, that if you've given us physical sight. Help us not to take our physical sight for granted, but let our physical sight be a reminder to us that that so often it blinds us, even temporarily, from giving attention to spiritual realities, battles, idols, things that are going on in our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would give us illumination this morning. Give us spiritual eyes to see. But above all, Lord, help us to see Christ. And help us, Lord, just like this man who was formerly blind, help us not to give in to the pressures of finding honor and approval according to the powers and standards of this world or even our families, our earthly families. Help us to look to you and to, above all, long to hear good and faithful son, well done good and faithful servant. Help us to find our identity, our worth, our value, our standing in Christ and Christ alone. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.